0: It's 1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. A lot of stuff on today's show. Let's get right to it. All right. Late last week, we had this horrible story out of the Branson, Missouri area. The the duck boat that ended up going out in the water when there were storm warnings that were out. Big storm comes up. The thing gets swamped. And you have this incredible loss of life, 17 people killed, 14 people injured. In the aftermath of that, there are a number of people, including the former head of the National Transportation Safety Board, who is calling for these duck boats essentially to be outlawed. Now, here's here's how it works. Can I see a show of hands? Who's ridden the ducks in, in the Wisconsin Dells? My producer Gru has not. You are the one person in the audience of the hundred plus thousand people who are listening. You are the one person that has not ridden, ridden the ducks at the Dells. All right, what are what are ducks? Ducks are these amphibious crafts that, that actually go back to World War II that are capable of running in the water and then they get on land and they they are they're motorized, so they got wheels, so they can run in both the water and on the land. In the Wisconsin Dells, the ducks that they use, the, these duck boats are, are pretty much, they are authentic World War II style duck boats. They are smaller than some commercial duck boats. They have less powerful engines. They, they don't have the canopies on top of them. All right. So that's this. Over the years, These duck boat operators have modified the design of duck boats. For example, the one that capsized in the storm in Missouri was not an authentic, original, duck-style boat. It was longer than the traditional, original boats were. It also had a a canopy on it. Now, why would you have a canopy, and why would you have it, it being enclosed? And that's because you can go out in inclement weather. You, you can get more rides. If, if it's just an open vehicle, well, if it's raining, even if it's raining a little bit, you're not going to be able to go out. But if it's, if you've got a canopy or you've got enclosures, you can go out in, in the rain. You're, you're able to do that. Typically, these larger duck boats, and again, they're a variation of the original style duck boat. These larger duck boats, they're longer. They have more powerful engines on them. And some may or may not have been retrofitted to add buoyancy. But the problem, and anybody who's ever been in a boat knows this, as the boat gets bigger, as the boat takes on more weight, like with a bigger engine, you've got to change the buoyancy to try to keep this the thing afloat. The duck boat that went down in Branson, Missouri, was really not like the duck boats that operate in the Wisconsin Dells. Like I say, it was modified, it was longer, bigger engine, and of course it had the canopy and the enclosures. In addition, there's no requirement that people wear life preservers. There is a requirement that there be life preservers on board, but there's no requirement that people wear them. And in the situation, what happened in Branson last week, it does not appear that people were wearing the life preservers. Although some of the experts say, that that could have made it worse because if they had had the life preservers on, when the thing capsized because it had a canopy, they might have been trapped in there and not had a chance to get out at all. So it's unclear whether the life preservers would have been a good or a bad thing. And I know that sounds odd, but that's just kind of the reality. So anyhow, as I was talking about a couple of minutes ago, these these operators apparently were were told – that, you know, there are some dangers that are associated with this because you're operating the, these modified these modified duck boats. And even being aware of the dangers, the people that operated the capsized duck boat, even though they were aware apparently of some of these potential design flaws, they continued operating these, these boats. And they went out. Knowing, even though it wasn't raining when they went out, they went out knowing that there was this severe storm warning. The operators of the ducks in Wisconsin Dell say this could not happen here. First of all, our our vehicles are smaller. We don't go out as far into the water as these larger things. You know, we don't get more than 100 feet from shore. We can return to land in about a minute. Plus, ours are open We don't go out, you know, if it's going to be raining. So the operators of the duck boats in the Wisconsin Dell say, this is, it's a different kind of animal. No offense intended. No pun intended. It's different than these other sort of duck boats. Nevertheless, there is a call to outlaw duck boats. In Wisconsin, duck boats are regulated by the Wisconsin DNR. But just like amusement park rides, there there aren't national standards really that apply. So the question becomes, are these things so very dangerous that they need to be outlawed? The last time there was a major loss of life along these lines was in Arkansas in 1999. 13 people drowned, similar sort of circumstances, but it appears that not a lot has changed in the 20 years since then. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you follow me at Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 Sent out this tweet with a link to a couple of these stories. Let's tee this up. And, and again, I, I know this is something that many people can relate to because if you have been in the Wisconsin Dells, and besides my producer, who hasn't, you have ridden on, on these Dells. You've ridden on a duck boat. It's one of the things that you do. Are these things so dangerous that you think we need to outlaw them? And would you support this? Or was this a freak accident by, you know, a company that was probably pretty darn negligent in going out in the first place? But, I mean, do we need to outlaw these all around? Should we shut down the duck attractions at the Wisconsin Dells? 414-799-1620, um, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Do I think we need to shut these down? My answer would be no. Do I think these are inherently dangerous? My answer is no to that as well. This was a tragedy, but I think a lot of different stuff went wrong. I think the operator has a lot of blame in this particular situation. But do we need to outlaw the attraction? I say no. What do you think? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have been on these in the Dell's, Does this make you rethink whether you'd ever go on one again? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Number of texts on this. Jeff, we were just in Branson a week before the accident. We were talking about what to do, and my wife said, how about the duck ride? When we drove to the place and saw that it was a fully enclosed duck boat, I said no, and we drove off. I said it was a death trap. If the thing would ever flip over, you could be trapped inside. The ducks and the dells are completely different. We have ridden those on several occasions. Um, yeah, the, 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 they are very, very different. And I guess I look at this, this is a horrible accident. And I, I think it is fair to ask Okay, what, well, you know, what, what was going on here? I have all sorts of questions, starting with, you know, why did that boat go out into the water when there was severe storm warnings that were out? I understand it wasn't raining, but why did it go out? I think a lot of this is going to come back to operator error. I don't. I don't favor outlawing the duck ride or the duck boats, although I do think people need to realize that all ducks are different. The one in the Wisconsin Dells, like I say, they're never more than 100 feet from shore, so they can turn around and get in. But regardless, I mean, I wouldn't be going out in any of these things when there's a severe storm warning out there. You do need to know, though, that some of these duck boat rides have been modified. 414 1620 Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, I think that the duck rides are legitimate. They should be uh, kept on going. Uh, they should not be modified. Wisconsin Dells, I've been there a couple times. It is one of the most enjoyable attractions of the Dells. You don't right. have that in many parks where you have an amphibious vehicle going from land and sea and everything else. Uh, it was just a great time. And they're not covered, and it's like a. Right. It was a wonderful time, and I, I uh, really think that. The Branson thing is a tragedy, and they should have never gone out on the water. And with a canopy, I don't understand that. But the the Delves has the open
0: right the, the dells have the, the the original sort of ducks, which is again right. they're they're smaller they're not as powerful they they only go out a little bit into the water they go out a hundred feet so what the folks the ducks operators say in the dells, hey, even if the weather gets bad, we can turn around and we can get in quickly. we're not out in the middle of a lake, we're not hundreds of feet offshore. we we can get back if 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 it starts to turn bad, yeah,
1: well, I think that they should just keep them going and uh it's yeah. a tragedy, but the delts and everything should not suffer for one little right. – not right. one
0: little – Right. You know, no, no mean, it's not or... – no, thanks. No, I get it. Right. But it's, it is. I mean, the last major fatality in this country riding these duck boats was in Arkansas. Like I say, 1999, 13 people died. And I, I get the idea that there hasn't been any sort of national regulation since then. One of the questions that people are going to have is about the about the life vests. You know, why, why were they wearing them? And, and from my understanding, the rules – do not require people to wear life vests. They require the life vests to be available, and there is some discussion about if the, one of these things capsizes, if you're in one of these boats that has a canopy, is it possible that it could make it worse? Now, I don't know how valid that concern is because, again, that that's one of the arguments sometimes people make about seat belts. Well, if, your, if the car flips and you're wearing a seat belt, you're trapped in it. I don't know if that's, the, and I, I reject that pretty much. I don't know if there is a parallel there, but This, to me, was an unfortunate accident. I think it's going to come back that there was lots and lots of human error and some really bad decisions that went into this particular decision. To me, you you don't, you know, we because a train derails, we don't say, all right, we're going to ban all passenger travel on the rails. And I guess I, I look at this kind of in the same context. Let's talk to Lois in Oak Creek. Hi, Lois. You're on WTMJ.
1: I I kind of go along with the last caller. If they're not altered, that they're the original duck, they're money safe. Right. It's when they start trying to get more people on than what they should be carrying, and things like that is what makes them unsafe.
0: Do you think we should outlaw the, the modified things? Because, I mean, the, the reason they modify them, they make them longer, they make them more powerful so they can go out further on the water, they can carry more people. You put up the canopy so you can, you know, go out when it's raining. Do you think those type of rides should be outlawed?
1: Yeah. Okay. They're supposed to be original, and that's how it – those weren't built originally to have more people on them.
0: Right. Right. No, thank, well that that's 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 true. I mean here's what I think needs do I think we need to outlaw these vehicles? My answer would be no. I, I do think there needs to be, particularly on the these modified ones, the ones that have been turned into effectively amusement rides. I I, I do think and I, I don't play an engineer on the radio, I'm certainly not an engineer when it comes to boats, but a lot of these concerns are are not new. At the same time, I mean, how many thousands, how many tens of thousands, how many hundreds of thousands of people ride the, these duck boat rides in a given year and nothing bad happens, which doesn't mean that you minimize the, this tragedy that was out there. What it means is you don't overreact. And and that's that's the only point. I think it is fair to say, let's look at some of these modified things and, and do the rules need to change? Should you say you shouldn't have cam- canopies on these? Um, should there be requirements that adjust the buoyancy? That's what they say you have to do when you make these things bigger and you put more powerful engines in them. You need to adjust the buoyancy to make it less likely that they're going to capsize. I think those are all fair sort of questions to say, you know, do we need some regulations to do that? Do you need to outlaw them? My answer would be no. And I will tell you, if I go to the Wisconsin Dells this summer, one of my highlights is always you kind of ride the ducks. I am going to continue to ride the ducks. I think they're a lot of fun. I think they are in general safe. Having said that, if I'm in line to get on the ducks and my weather alert thing pings and I find out that there is a severe uh, storm warning in the area, well, I think I'm going to find some... I don't know, I'm going to find some taffy shop or some bar to stay in to wait for it to blow over before I get on it. It's 12:25. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, I don't know, I words I never thought I would say. I think Peggy West may be getting a raw deal. Stick around. 37 Jeff Wagner and WTMJ the Brewers continue their home stand as they look to get back to their winning ways hall of famer Bob Euker is on the mic for game one of a three-game set our coverage starts at 635 tonight sponsored by Catholic Financial Life tune in now this is a challenge this this challenge clearly what they've lost nine out of 11 games they're still the number one team for the wild card Brewers have a challenge this is where you kind of see what a team is made of and this case, tune in. Hear the call. Bob Uecker always does a great job, of course. All right. there. There's an interesting thing going on in in this country, and it it's happened as a result, I think, of, of President Trump. There's no secret that we have been very, very polarized over the years, and we've gotten very tribal when it comes to politics. You have people who are on the right. You have people who are on the left. And the people who are on the right and the, on the left, they really never see eye to eye. I, on Friday, we broke the news or we talked about the news that uh, former Senate President, and Senate Majority Leader Mike Ellis had passed away. And Ellis was a throwback to the old days where you had to work with the other side in order to get things done. And Ellis was a street fighter, no question about it. But those days are, long, are largely gone. You, you just can't compromise anymore because compromise is seen as a sign of weakness. And one of the things that has happened since President Trump took office is the fact that you have the Democratic Party that has moved even further and further to the left. And there, there is an element of the Democratic Party that it's again, it's the resist Trump movement. Doesn't matter what Trump does, you have to resist President Trump. You know, resist Trump. Do, do everything. And right now, and it's interesting because over the weekend, there were a series of stories about this. You've got fissures in the the Democratic Party because you have more mainstream Democrats who are looking and seeing the, the, the kind of the kook left. That's out there, the socialist aspect of the party that is trying to drive the party further and further to the left. And you have some of these mainstream Democrats who are saying, wait a second, you know, we we can't allow our party to get hijacked because if you go to some of these kook ideas that the socialist stuff, you're going to completely. Yes, it will appeal to the hardcore members of our tribe, but that's 30 percent of the vote. You're going to we're going to lose the middle. And there's a number of moderate Democrats who represent, for example, states that President Trump carried in 2016 who are going, wait, we you know, we we don't want to get hijacked, you know, heading. You know, we, we don't want to allow us to be hijacked. Well, one of the battle lines that's now drawn is the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh to replace Justice Kennedy on the Supreme Court. Democrats are angry that Republicans who controlled the Senate didn't give Merrick Garland a vote, an up or down vote in the Senate before Barack Obama left office. Republicans, though, you know, they've got the horses. They controlled the Senate last year, they control the Senate this year. And Mitch McConnell says, hey, we're going to have a vote on this and we're going to do it before the November elections. The problem, of course, is that the Democrats don't have enough votes, even if everybody stayed in line. Even if the Democrats, the moderate Democrats or the conservative leading Democrats from states like, you know, Montana and West Virginia who are up and Wyoming who are up for reelection this year in states that Donald Trump carried big time. You know, even if they were to vote the party line and, and stay with the Democratic leaders, there's still not enough votes in an up or down vote to defeat Judge Kavanaugh if the Republicans keep all their voters together. So what is the resistance strategy? Well, it kind of works like this. And on, on my Twitter account, it's at JeffWagner620, I sent out a, a tweet about this with the links to the stories. Here's the way it would work. In the U.S. Senate, you need a quorum to do business. And, and that it's in the Constitution. A quorum of the U.S. Senate, as it stands right now, is 51 senators. If there aren't 51 senators, nothing can happen, right? Nothing can happen. Well, right now, the makeup of the Senate, 51 Republicans, and if you count like a socialist like Bernie Sanders as being a Democrat, it's fifty-one forty-nine, right? But here's the problem. Uh, you, you have John McCain, who is fighting cancer, he hasn't been in the Senate in a long time, and and they don't think the, – the speculation is his health is not good enough to allow him to return to the Senate. So what does that mean? It means there's only 50 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Now, to confer a Supreme Court nominee – follow me on this – you just need a majority of the people who are present, right? So, for example – You don't need Senator McCain. If all the Republicans in the Senate vote to confirm, if all the Democrats vote against, it's still 50-49. You've got a majority. But there's this quorum thing. The Senate can't conduct business unless there are 51 senators. And let us assume that John McCain, Senator McCain, is too ill to travel. He's not going to be returning to the Senate. This This is the way the argument goes at least 50 Republican senators. Well, what happens if the Democrats boycott? What happens if the Democrats do what the Democrats in Wisconsin did a few years back to try to block Act 10? What happens if they just flee or don't show up for at the U.S. Senate? The Senate will not be able to conduct business. Now, they're not going to be able to theoretically, they're not going to be able to hear uh, that proceed on the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh, but they're also not going to be do, able to do other stuff as well. So there's this idea, boycott the Senate. Try to stop there from being a quorum, and therefore you block the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh. This is something which is going around the fever swamps of, of the left, saying we have to pressure senators to stay out of the Senate. And some... My guess is people like Tammy Baldwin would be amenable to that if leadership told them to do it. Now, the only way this works, though, is you have to get everybody on board. You have to get everybody to leave the state, all the Democrats to leave the state like they did a couple years ago, for that strategy to have any chance of of working. So you have a number of Democratic senators who are, again, running for re-election in states carried by President Trump. They would have to sign off on this. But the idea, if it worked... Would bring the whole Senate to a screeching halt. Let's tee this up four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is this fight worth picking? The idea that you would shut down the operation of the U.S. Senate, presumably for I don't know six months, seven months. I mean that the hope would be number. I mean the the plan would have to be. We're going to shut it down. The U.S. Senate does nothing because they can't meet. November elections roll around. Democrats retake control of the U.S. Senate. And then come January, they would have control. Right? That's that's how it would have to work. Game this out with me. Is this a winning strategy? And I will tell you, there are a number of senators who are being pushed from the people on the far left to adopt this strategy. Would this work? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. But what do you think? We discuss next. It's 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Advances in medical technology have people living longer, and you may not believe where they could be living in just a couple years. John and Melissa share the surprising answer, 340, on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Here's the bottom line with the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Republicans have the horses. And as long as no Republicans bail, you've got 51 votes. Now, the Democrats can do all sorts of stuff procedurally to delay the vote. But at the end of the day, he will be confirmed as long as no Republicans bail, even assuming he doesn't pick up any Democratic support. And my guess is he will pick up support from at least a handful of Democrats. The strategy to stop this would be essentially to use what i would describe as the nuclear option the thing the senate democrats did to try to block act 10 a number of years ago and that is flee the senate don't show up cuz you need a quorum of 51 votes don't come to work hide in your respective state leave the country do something like that would that strategy work 4147991620 Let's talk to Tony in Menominee Falls. Tony, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Tony. Democrats are going to do everything they can to stall for November. However, my question for you is, why can't they force John McCain to step down? Because hey, he's a great guy and all that, but he can't do his job.
0: Well, I mean, thanks to call. I mean, that's—I don't think anybody can force John McCain to do anything. I mean, that would be—that would be one of the the potential strategies. I think the I. I I could be wrong. I think were he to step down, I think the the governor makes the interim appointment, I think that's how it works in Arizona, could be wrong on that, but I, I guess, so that would be a way of potentially breaking this. You, you, you'd hate to see it, it go this way, and keep in mind to make this work, because- What they could do is just like what happened or could have happened in Wisconsin, you could, Mitch McConnell could direct the sergeant at arms to go out and round up Democrat senators and say, try to find them and, you know, bring them in, uh, whether they come willingly or not. You have the power to do that, which would lead potentially to the spectacle of, I don't know, Democratic senators being hauled in potentially in handcuffs. Is that really the image that you want? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Michael in Bayside. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hello. I think it's a great strategy for them to adopt if they want to make sure that the Republicans get more seats in the Senate. Come on. What, what, a, what a great campaign that would be for Republicans. Uh, These guys won't even fill up. I. You, we're going to try to get it so they can't draw a salary. Think of, think of the PR. They get. We're going to make it so they can't draw a salary. And people be screaming yelling about it, it'd be
0: great. Well, it sure didn't work very well when the Democrats tried it in Wisconsin. I mean, it, they, they, were they able to delay things for a couple of weeks? Yes, they were. But at the end of the day, Act 10 got passed. Yeah, can you imagine the, the, the political ads? So let's just, first of all, let's talk about a couple of these embattled Democrats, like the guy in West Virginia or Montana, the people who are running for reelection in states that Donald Trump carried. Can you imagine the ads if these people were hiding out? somewhere, um, avoiding, you know, trying to avoid going to work and doing their jobs. To me, you know, you want to guarantee you're flushing your Senate seat down the tubes. That would be it. And even in a place like Wisconsin, you want to talk about a godsend to either Kevin Nicholson or to um, Leah Ball, Leah Vukmir uh, for, in the Tammy Baldwin race. If Tammy Baldwin was hiding out, not willing to go to work, can you imagine those TV ads? it'd be great um yeah thanks for call. i mean could you do something and, and the reason i bring this up i understand that you might be saying oh jeff this is just silly and i don't disagree with you that it is silly but this is one of the ideas that is being pushed by the fringe on the left the the resist trump at all costs you have to block judge kavanaugh because if you don't Thousands of women are going to die and it's gonna, you know, it, it, it's this, it's this craziness that's out there and it is this push. And I, I think some Democrats are going to be pressured to try to do this. Now what, where I think this breaks down is I think there's a lot of the moderate Democrats who are going to say, look, we'll, we'll, we'll be on board with you in trying the delay tactics and trying to sort of stall a vote for as long as we can procedurally. But, we're not leaving the Senate because it's something that it'll be kind of tough for us to come back from. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dan in Hartford. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hi. Hi I'm We're glad to pay for the plane tickets. Look at how it looks to their constituents and American people. Right. They're refusing to do their jobs. Let's think of the other things that the Senate has to do during this period.
0: Right, right, you, right, right, yes, that, that's exactly right. When, when you're, when, if you were to do something like this, just like what happened in, in Wisconsin, although Wisconsin was slightly different, right, you, you, the idea is you're going to paralyze the Senate. That, that's it. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to pass any legislation. We're not going to have any hearings. Absolutely nothing is going to get done. We are going to shut down one legis, the, you know, one part of the, one legislative branch of this country. And to me, Unless you're part of that hardcore fringe left, this is the type of thing that really turns off, will turn off most Americans, certainly all Republicans, most independents, and and probably a lot of moderate Democrats who go, well, this is kind of nuts for this. Yeah, no, thanks. For, I, I think that's, that's what's out there. But I mean, watch this, because I've tried to, as you try to put together scenarios under which, how do you block Judge Kavanaugh? You can delay it and you can use all sorts of parliamentary procedures to delay it, and the Republicans are a bit hamstrung because they have such a narrow majority in the u s Senate, which is why you go back to the the seat they lost in Alabama by nominating that crazy Roy Wood or whatever These are the ones that that come back to haunt you when you lose these seats. And you should have, but there 's still enough seats to get this done again, assuming all the Republicans hold and My ultimate prediction, you can mark the tape now. My prediction is that Kavanaugh is confirmed before the November elections, and he's confirmed, my guess is, probably with about 55 votes, which means a couple Democrats are going to, unless there's some revelation out there that we haven't seen, I think some Democrats are going to cross the aisle, particularly the ones in places like West Virginia who – tough re-election battles and, and don't want to be on the wrong side of this particular issue with their voters, given how qualified Judge Kavanaugh is. But this is one of the possibilities that's out there, and it's one of the strategies. In some respects, I say, you know, it's not going to happen because you're not going to get all 49 Democrats on board. Some of them aren't going to be willing to follow their leadership off a cliff on this particular thing. And just like it backfired against Senate Democrats when they fled to avoid the vote on Act 10 in Wisconsin, it would backfire big time if Democrats in the Senate did it. So there'll be pressure. You'll hear it discussed. Don't think it's going to happen. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I I do admit I was surprised that Matt Flynn decided that he was going to run for governor. He is one of eight remaining candidates. Matt Flan, former state chairman of the Democratic Party. He's run for almost everything there is to run for in Wisconsin as a Democrat, and he's lost. So he, he's thrown his hat into the ring for the gubernatorial race. Matt is a is a very smart guy, and he's a re, he's retired from the Carlson Brady law firm. Uh, his problem, and, and you heard that in the newscast, is that one of his clients for a number of years was the Archdiocese of Milwaukee and Rembrandt Weakland, who was, of course, the archbishop at the time, who was up to his neck in, at least in my opinion, up to his neck in the whole pedophile priest controversy. You know, Matt Flynn was Rev- Rembrandt Weakland's lawyer. And back in the day, he was, as you would expect a lawyer to be, extremely aggressive in dealing with people who came forward and made claims against the archdiocese. Now, you you want, I think, a lawyer, in some cases, to be sort of a pit bull and to be aggressive. And, and that's certainly the way, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, the archdiocese played it. But, but Matt Flynn was that aggressive sort of pit bull lawyer, and it left a number of people, well, extremely disturbed and concerned. And it was a decision that, that Flynn made in taking on that case. And people are certainly the archdiocese entitled to representation. And um, even though Rembrandt Weekland, as the archbishop, was wrong about a lot of stuff, they they aggressively defended complaints against them. And, and Flynn was the front guy on that. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and that that haunts him, and that's a huge issue that's out there. There's another larger question as to whether or not he was knowingly a participant in you know, moving pedophile priests around in an effort to um, have them avoid disclosure or whatever. There's a, a there's testimony that Rembrandt Weekland you know, gave in the Archdiocese bankruptcy hearing. He, he said, every time I met with my counsel in those years, Matt Flynn, he would have a list and that would be you know, the the list of the pedophile priests and the accusations by date. Um, he would have a list, and so at least I would have a list from him. I ne- never kept any of those, but he would always have a list for me. And critics have seized on that, saying that, you know, Flynn was involved in perpetrating the cover-up. I take no position on that at all. But this is, it's clearly an issue. And it's one of the problems that lawyers have when you make the decision that you're going to actively, if you're going to actively and aggressively be involved in cases and give clients the type of representation. Different clients are different ways. I mean, some clients decide, hey, we want to settle. We don't want to fight this aggressively. For years, the archdiocese aggressively tried to fight, in my opinion, you know, fight claims that uh, abusers made and. You know, Matt Flynn was one of the guys who was part of that. And it's just coming back to haunt him. And um, I he, he's not going to win this race anyhow. And this is a, it's kind of a sideshow to the Democratic primary, but he's not going to win, but it is one of those issues. And it's one of the issues that attorneys wrestle with from time to time. You have a duty to represent clients, but if you yourself want to get into politics at some point in time or get back into politics, you, it, you take on certain clients and depending on the strategy you employ. Especially if you employ a scorched earth strategy, and I know there's some abuser, there are people who you know were abused by, you know, members of the Catholic Church who felt that there was a time when the legal strategy was scorched earth against them. You're going to leave leave some hard feelings, and that's what Matt Flynn is seeing now. All right, here's the story, and I I'm, I'm fascinated as to how you react to this. Over the last couple weeks, there have been a number of stories out there about. People who allege that the cops have been called on them simply because of their their skin color. Here, you know, black man, black woman says she was doing something innocuous and the police rolled up and started questioning her or people, you know, called in to complain and the police responded. And and, of course, the the implication is that in all cases, it was overt racism that led to this. Well, here's a story, and I want to get your reaction to it. Um, this comes from San Francisco. and a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, at, uh, at JeffWagner620, I sent out a tweet about this with a link to the story. So here here's the guy. The guy runs a lemonade kiosk, which as near as I can figure out, even though they're calling it a kiosk, it's like a storefront in the, the Mission District in San Francisco. San Francisco is one of the great cities in North America. It has a huge problem with homelessness. It has a huge problem with crime. So the guy runs like a storefront lemonade operation. It's like a gourmet lemonade operation. Well well here's here's what happens. Last week, last Tuesday as a matter of fact, about six forty-five in the morning. He's forty five in the morning. He's outside of his business. He's on his cell phone, and he's apparently futzing with his security camera. There's um Something wrong. He says he's on the phone with the the contractors, but but he's he's up there playing around with the security camera. It's six forty five in the morning. Apparently, what happens is somebody who and, and and he's he's a black man. Somebody sees him outside of the store six forty five in the morning, which is before the store is open, messing around, you know, playing with the security camera. Now he he's trying to get it to work, but presumably the person that makes the call doesn't know that so somebody sees him futzing with the security camera and they call the police they call the san francisco police saying hey there's this guy he's he's messing around with the security camera the store's closed he's messing around with his security camera at that point in time based on the call the police you know roll up four officers show up this is what he said four officers approach him one with his hand on his hip as if it were his weapon Um, initially the man says that he thought he'd set off a security alarm by accident. He said, what are you doing here? And police said, no, we're responding to a a call that we got saying that, you know, there was some suspicious activity outside the store. Um, they said that that somebody had called said, there might be a guy breaking into this business. He said, well, that's funny. This is actually my business. So then he said, this is his story. So the officers said, um, sir. Can you, you know, remove your hand from your pocket? Apparently, his hand was in his pocket. They were concerned that he was armed. They said that. Um, can you prove that this is your business? And he said, um, Yeah, I can. I've got, I've got a key to the door. So he takes the key out, he opens the door, and goes in. They say, Great. Can we see some identification? He shows them the identification, and then they go on their way. Right? That 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 is the encounter. The man says that um, he said, well, you know, the the police, they did their job. They weren't rude to me. Um, You know, I've had run-ins with police before, but no, they they weren't rude. They were professional. He said, you know, I have a little bit of an issue because they asked me for my ID. But he said, I I guess I get what the police were were doing. They were just trying to to verify this. The story, though, becomes a story because he is alleging that whoever it was, not that the police were, were wrong necessarily in doing what they're doing, But whoever it was that called the police in the first place, it must have been because of racism. It's 645 in the morning. Here you have a black man outside a store futzing with a a security camera. Now, it turns out that it's his store. All right, turns out that it's his store, but the implication is whoever made that phone call had to be racist. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Is this an example of racist? The guy was black. The guy was outside the store. The shop was closed. He's futzing with the security camera. He's on his phone. Somebody calls to the police and say, Hey, there might be somebody breaking into this building. Did that call, did that call have to be made because the man was black or might there have been something else going on here? 414-799-1620. And again, it, it he doesn't really, it seems to me, have a beef with the police, although he's a little upset they asked for his ID. And he said one officer had his hand on his hip as if he was going to pull his gun. But they didn't pull the gun on him. And at the end of the day, he says, no, they, they were professional, you know, and they just they asked me for my ID. They asked me if I could prove I was the owner of the store. They asked me what I was doing. But it, is this racism? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss when we come back. I'll give you my answer in just a minute, too. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 21, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Todd in Brookfield. Todd, good afternoon.
2: Hey, thanks for taking the call. You know, I, I've had the police. The Milwaukee Sheriff called on me three or four times. I, I've got properties, and I mow the lawn. I've got vacant land in the town of Delfield, And I take the grass out to the town of Delafield in garbage bags. Right. And I empty it out on the vacant land. And four <laughs> times now, a squad pulls up behind my truck. Right. Because a, na- a neighbor called.
0: Right, because they don't know you, they don't recognize you. Oh, all of they, course.
2: yeah, <laughs> sure. So, and then I identify myself and and verify it on and on. Now it's gotten to the point I call Waukesha County Dispatch when I'm going to dump the grass on the land. Right. The but- point is, I never assumed that it was because of my race. I never assumed it was because of my political persuasion. I assumed <laughs> it was because the neighbors were watching out for somebody vandalizing the vacant lot. I was appreciative of it.
0: Well, yeah. See, I guess that that's. That's the point I have. To, don't we tell everybody, see something, say something? I mean, it, it's, it's before the store opens. It's 645 in the morning. You're in a relatively high crime area, and you see somebody futzing with the security camera. Now, you, but that's exactly it. You see somebody. Right. Right. And, right. And so, it's, a, it's a person. Right, exactly, and you you look at it. and Now I understand what he was doing was completely innocent, but you know, you, somebody driving by or whatever sees that and you say, "Hey, this looks like somebody's disabling the security camera exactly. on this business. Let me call the cops." And then, yep. and then, what are the cops? Well, of course, the cops have to answer this, and they they investigate it and they handle it over professionally. I now thanks for the call. I mean, that's that's, and I look, I understand that some of these stories. It's clearly, well, you know, we, we, we thought a black person didn't belong in this particular area. And, and I, 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 you see these stories all the time, but now I'm starting to wonder, don't you, I don't know, if you're a merchant and you're doing something innocent, but arguably suspicious, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, the shop doesn't open till I don't know what time, eight or nine o'clock or whatever. There's somebody, you know, two hours before opening time out there playing around with a security camera. Wouldn't you like a neighbor to, Maybe, you know, a fellow businessman to call and say, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but there could be somebody trying to break into the store. Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Yeah, I think this is a classic case of see something, say something. Mm -hmm. The guy should be grateful that the neighbors are watching and actually taking some action rather than just saying, hmm, looks like Louis' store might be getting robbed. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. well, well, right. Yeah, they're going to clean him out. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I guess I'm trying to, like, personalize this, but if I were... I, I don't know. I mean, if I had rental property or something and I'm trying to I, I'm over at the place and I'm trying to futz with the door to get in and I don't have the right key or whatever, and it looks like I might be busting in and somebody called the police, I wouldn't be angry. It would be, hey, no, officer, this is who I am. Thanks right. for checking this out. No. I And and once they decided it was a legitimate thing, it's not like they arrested him. It's not like they hauled him to City Hall. They He proved who he was and they thanked him and went off on their own.
1: Right. And and, he, and the guy should have thanked the cops for showing up so quickly and whatever and, and taking care of that business, his business.
0: Well, right. I mean, thanks. thanks call. I mean, it, but it automatically the assumption is, well, they had to call the police because I was a black guy futzing with the security camera. Well, and of course, the, the, that's the narrative that gets out there. Police called, you know, Then San Francisco police are asked questions. Well, first of all, the cops did nothing wrong. I mean, the, you, get, you get a call. That there might be somebody breaking into a store. Well, of course that you're going to respond and investigate that. As to the ultimate caller, you know, who, who knows that they called him because the guy was black? For all we know, the caller himself might have been black. More likely it's somebody said, Hey, this just looks unusual. The store's not open. High crime area. Somebody futzing with the security camera looks suspicious. Let's talk to, um, Josh in North Prairie. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey, Jeff, how are you
0: doing? Good. Okay. Does this have to be racism?
1: So I think it's, you know, just like the other callers have said, I think it's see something, say something. Like if I was driving down the street and it doesn't matter if it's a person of color or, you know, somebody, you know, white, anybody, if somebody's thinking around with a security camera and you don't know what's going on, don't you think it's probably the most logical thing to call?
0: Right, right. Hey, there might be somebody breaking into this store and if I were the store owner, I would be, I would be thrilled at that, and I wouldn't have, and again, it doesn't sound like this is one where the police copped an attitude. They asked reasonable questions. He was able to, you know, immediately establish who he was, showed him his ID, showed him he had the keys of the store, and then they went on their business. This was, this all happened like it should. But now it's being blown into, well, there, you know, there was racism because the cops were called. Now oh, I call the police, let them do their job and then be respectful when they show up and nothing bad happens. That's the object lesson of this.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's 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 kind of a sad world we live in where everybody kind of you have to be so careful with what you do and what you say, because it's it, racism especially has turned into a political agenda. And there are a lot of people who are going to turn. Right. Even the simplest thing into, oh, that's racist.
0: Well, right. No, thanks. Oh, you know, they they called the police because he was a black man. Well, they called the police because you had a man that's, you know, outside a store before the store opens, futzing with this security camera in a high crime district. And I'm willing to bet that whoever called didn't know that the guy was the owner of the store. Jason in Mequan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey, afternoon, Jeff. Um, nowadays, we talk around the racism word like it's, you know, candy for babies nowadays. I don't care if you're white, purple, you know, you know the purple dinosaur. You see some suspicious suspicious activity before a business opens, you know, messing with the security cameras. I don't right. care where you are. Call the freaking cops. If it's legitimate, let them prove themselves, and then they, like you said, they just went on their merry way.
0: Right, and if I'm the owner, I'm glad that somebody's looking out for the store. I I want my neighbors to be looking out for, you know, my property. You know, if I was a business person, I'd like them to be looking out for my store. I'd like the neighbors, if they see something suspicious going on, and it turns out to be, OK, my brother, who's going to be staying at the house, I, I just, you know, let's say my brother decides that he wants to stay over there for the weekend and they don't some neighbors don't recognize him and he's having trouble getting in. Call the police. That's OK. Call the police on my brother. <laughs> Fine with that. You know, he'll be able to prove who he is. But I'd rather have that happen than somebody bust into my house.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And as long as it's legit and you can prove yourself, sure. in, you know, five ten minutes, big deal. There's no thing. I mean. In this case, you just shut your mouth and say, thank you for checking up on my location.
0: Right, exactly. Thanks for the call, and and to to the man's credit, even though he's screaming racism in the call, and this is now getting national attention, even he says the police were professional. He said, I was a little bit upset that they asked me my ID, but he said, "I, I, I understand their perspective. Yeah, they... They've got this call. They're trying to verify that the guy is who he says he is. Once they verify that, they move on. Not everything that happens is racism. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Quick reminder, if you go to WTMJ.com, you'll see our podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. I know a lot of people do that. And I very much appreciate it. WTMJ and our sister station, KTI country are fired up to share the greatest dessert in Wisconsin. Yours truly. And my colleague Karen D'Alessandro from KTI Country, we are going to be handing out six packs of those famous cream puffs to the first 300 cars lined up in the Wisconsin State Fair parking lot starting at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, August 1st. That would be a week from Wednesday. That's the day before the State Fair kicks off. It's Cream puff a Stop by for your chance to win It is always an experience. There's just no question about it. People start lining up, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning. I always get there about 5.30 or so. I'm just amazed by all the different cars that are out there. But uh, typically we have two lines, and either you will get a six-pack of cream puffs that I will hand deliver to you or to uh, Karen D'Alessandro will do that. I think she'll work one line. I'll work the other. But it's always a lot of fun, and I know there's a lot of people who make regular stops there. Be sure to come out and do that. Over over the weekend, there was this dog and pony show in Wisconsin, and, and they, it was designed as a made-for-TV and made-for-the-newspaper-to-guppy-on the, the event, and, of course, that's what happened. Headline in the journal Sentinel, Residents Testify on Voter Suppression at Milwaukee Hearing. And it was this quote-unquote hearing that was conducted by the National Commission for Voter Justice, which is this kind of like uber left-wing group, and it was presided over by uber lefties, and the idea was we're going to have people come in and we're going to talk about how hard it is to, to vote and how those evil Republicans and these evil laws are suppressing the, the vote. And, of course, it's, it's designed to attract newspaper stories and get TV headlines, and that's, that's the whole mission of this. But I, I was kind of curious to read the story because I, I still wonder who these unicorns are that, 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 can't vote because they, they can't get the appropriate ID. And as, as I have been saying for years when it comes to this voter ID thing, the, the reality is that if you really do have someone who is on the fringe of society and they, they, they can't get a photo, the mission should be, how do you get them a photo ID? Because the truth is, if, if you don't have a photo ID, you are foreclosed from so many different aspects of american society and that should be the battle hey if you don't have a photo id let's let us help you get the photo id so you can not only use it to vote but you can use it to, for other things but instead because we we want to play the voter suppression card it, that's where the obsession is. So, okay, I was I, I was interested in reading the story. Well, let me share with you a portion of the story in the journal Sentinel, and these are people who supposedly testified about how terrible the voter ID law is and how it's, it's voter suppression. Whenever you hear voter suppression, what that means is that's a code word for having to prove who you are before you can vote. Isn't it interesting how the left kind of co-ops phrases, voter suppression? Well, yeah, you have to prove who you are. All right, so they quote this one woman, Born in Louisiana when Jim Crow ruled the day. All right, here's the deal. Um, Let's see. The woman votes in every election from school board to governor. But in 2011, a redistricting of Wisconsin's assembly district line left her stranded in an affluent, primarily Republican district, far removed from her formerly majority Democrat one. I just don't feel that things like I care about and things like I value are being represented by the people that we have in office in our district, she said, and one of the people said that meant you've been cracked um, you in other words, you know the you've been cracked, which means that the redistricting plan has spread out the votes of voters of a particular party across so many districts that the party never gained a majority of votes. okay for the longest time, I lived in Milwaukee County, Gwen Moore was my congresswoman. When Moore does not represent any of the ideals that I represent? All right, but you know what? That's the thing. Democrats overwhelmingly live in Milwaukee County. So if you are a Republican in Milwaukee County, you are necessarily, when you vote for Congress, you are going to have a congressional representative who doesn't necessarily reflect your hopes, dreams, and ideals. Is that illegal? Is that a problem? Is that voter suppression? Give me a break. The story gets better. Then they quote another woman um, who helps register voters, who says, all right, everybody is confused by the rule changes since 2011. I do training, and people come out of my training with their eyes spinning around. It's a big problem. This was a deliberate introduction of confusion into the process, to which I would say, again, okay, give me a break. It's really not that hard, and once... To the extent that there were a modification of rules, why was it? Well, it was because a number of Democrats decided to litigate the matter, trying to challenge the voter ID law, which is why you've had so many changes that were made to it. But again, this is voter suppression. Then there's a 56-year-old woman who said that the instructions for renewing her driver's license looks like they're asking for a curriculum vitae. And um, while she was fine because she was fluent in English, she noted that someone who wasn't would be intimidated. All right, the dry, renewing your driver's license is too tough, so that means that it must be voter suppression. I'm still intimidated, she said. She said, and to be honest with you, renewing my passport would be easier than renewing my driver's license. Okay, so this is—I mean, this shows you when you go into the fever swamps how crazy people are. Okay. They make you answer a lot of questions when you renew your driver's license. So this this has to be an effort to try to suppress the vote. And then here's my favorite one. This woman said she moves back from Milwaukee, to Milwaukee from Bloomington, Illinois. After six months, she goes to the DMV to switch her Illinois driver's license back to Wisconsin. She was told that a new rule instituted under Governor Scott Walker meant that she would be mailed her new license rather than receiving it directly over the counter. And she said um, apparently um, a legal complication resulted in her mail being held up somewhere for several months so she didn't get the license. So, again, this is part of that, that conspiracy to deprive her of the right to vote. All right, let, let's break this down. First of all, do you know why? Rue, this is a question. Do you know why they don't give you your driver's license when you go in and apply it, you don't get it the same day at the DMV? Do you know why? You don't. Okay. They always used to. They always used to. You would go in, you'd have your picture taken, you'd wait, and they'd physically give you your driver's license. Well, several, uh, at least a couple years ago, as part of the federal law, that standardized the information on licenses so your license could be used to fly and stuff, now they don't do that at the DMV. The license gets sent off to uh, – it's a company somewhere that processes these things in accordance with federal standards. So this this requirement, the fact that it's not issued by the DMV, is so your driver's license complies with Homeland Security laws. So this is – this is federal to do that. So your driver's license can be used to get on planes and things like that. Um, I, I know this because a couple of friends of mine ha- have just had their licenses renewed in the last couple of weeks. And we talked about this. You go to the DMV, you apply. What happens is you get a piece of paper that's good for a temporary driver's license. And in all the cases that I am familiar with, those new licenses have come within like a week or two weeks at the maximum. But it's amazing how quick the turnaround is. So this lady, well, it's the evil Scott Walker suppressing voters. All right, this is a, it's the driver's license, which now matches the federal security standards, so you can use it for identification. And apparently she had some problems with her mail, so she didn't get the license because she had problems with her mail. The story is written a series of unclear legal complications. I have no idea what they are, but this isn't a problem with the state trying to keep her from her driver's license. She's got problems with her mail, so this translates into voter suppression. Again, I was curious as to the unicorns that would be showing up and attending at this hearing, and so far I still don't think that you found them. Somebody who finds the driver's license renewal standards too confusing – some lady who's got problems delivering her mail because of legal things so she doesn't get the new driver's license sent to her, and a lady who's upset that she lives in a heavily Republican area. Ah, sounds like voter suppression to me. It's 148. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, this is the whole the whole driver's license thing. It's It's just the federal government says... In order for driver's licenses to be recognized so people can fly and go on a military basis, it has to be real ID compliant, which means that they're not issued these licenses at the local DMV anymore. They're issued by whatever clearinghouse issues them and You get this lady who says, well, I wasn't able to vote because I I went in in January and I I went in to get my driver's license. And apparently there was some problem with my mail getting delivered because of legal things. So it took me a while to get my license in the mail. And that must be the Republicans that are conspiring to stop me from voting. Give me a break. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot believe how the NFL continues to imagine, to imagine continues to screw up this national anthem question. Everybody knows the story. It's been going on for two years. You have a, a very small number of players who decided they wanted to kneel on the sidelines during the national anthem. These protests, and who knows what they were protesting? everybody was protesting something different. These protests generated a lot of backlash. And I think it hurts some of the sponsors. I believe it hurt NFL ratings. So the NFL came out with this policy saying enough is enough. Here's what we're going to do moving forward. You don't have to stand during the national anthem players if you don't want to. But the deal is if you're on the sidelines before the game, then you got to stand. If you don't want to stand, stay back in the tunnel. No problem. That's all right. You can sit, you can do whatever you want, but you don't do it on our field when you are in uniform immediately before the game. You want to go to a baseball game, you want to go to some other NFL game, and you want to sit in the stands, you, you, know, you just kneel, stand, do whatever you want. But when you are in uniform before the games, you stand up or else there's going to be discipline. Well, the players have started pushing back on that. They are outraged about it. So late last week, the National Football League and the union announced that they would hold off on enforcing their new policy while the two sides attempt to resolve the issue. My comment on this is, what is there to resolve? Don't these highly paid professional football players understand that they are in the entertainment business? That is the business that they are in. The behavior of some of them is hurting their employer because it is causing some people to turn off the games or to have a backlash. I think the NFL's policy is incredibly reasonable. All right, if you're going to be in uniform on the side of the games, you stand up. Otherwise, if you don't want to do it, fine. You stay in the tunnel. We're not going to make you do it But if you're going to be representing us on the sidelines, we expect a certain form of behavior. The players, in an apparent desire to kill the goose that's laying the golden egg, they don't like this, and the NFL has at least temporarily backed down. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Really? I guess this is mind-boggling to me for a couple reasons. First of all, that, that the players... Don't realize that they are hurting the game and ultimately hurting themselves by continuing to do this. That's number one. Number two, from the NFL's perspective, you have a huge public relations problem on your hand with the fan base. And I understand you want to keep the players happy. But at the same time... If you want to protect the game and the overall institution of football, I think this national anthem policy is reasonable and it, it should have been implemented. But now we're back to square one. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's one fifty four. One fifty seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Dave and Waukesha. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I think the NFL is crazy, <laughs> and I think uh, the Players think, Association you know is crazy. They lost. They lost. They, they
1: took their hands off the wheel from day one on this whole thing. Yep. It should have been. It should have been. You know what? These are in the original bylaws. I mean, if you really, I think I heard it. I don't, I don't know where I heard it. Mm-hmm. You know that that you're supposed to come out and stand for the national. That's part of. You know. I mean, they they penalize somebody for having their shirt untucked for goodness sake.
0: Right? Yeah, or the wrong color shoes yeah, or whatever.
1: whatever. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, look and see see, see I thought this we com- right and See, and to thanks I, I mean, I thought their policy was extremely reasonable. I thought it was a reasonable compromise. Look, here's the deal. if you don't feel in good conscience, you can stand during the national anthem because you're so upset with whatever's going on in this country. okay, fine, then just stay on the sidelines, but we're not going to allow you to co-opt our you know when the cameras are on you. Only because it's before our game. When you are at work, we're saying this is how you have to do it. But they're, they're not even telling them you have to stand. If you don't want to stand, just stay back in the locker room. This is just an example, I think, of the NFL showing a spinelessness and the players showing a complete and total cluelessness as to I, again, where public perception is, and maybe um, among, again, certain liberal sports writers or something, everybody is applauding this, but that's not who the audience is. The audience is, you know, the person that's watching this without a vested interest on a Sunday afternoon. NFL should never have caved into this, and the players are, in my opinion, insane for pushing it. It's 159. This is Jeff Wright. 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, here's a portion of the story as it appears in the Madison newspapers. Unlicensed security guard in fatal bank shooting acted quickly and silently. When convicted bank robber Luis Marti Narvaez walked into the far east side Madison branch of Chase Bank on the morning of March 1st, 24-year-old Charles Dawling was just weeks into his position as an armed undercover security guard working without a state license and under contract to an unlicensed and now defunct Nebraska security. So the guy is working as a security guard in, in the bank. Morning of March 1st, um, he doesn't have a state license, and the contract is with an unlicensed Nebraska security firm. So the bank hired this firm to provide a security guard. He is the security guard. All right, so convicted bank robber Luis Marti Narvas. All right, Narvaez's head and face were covered with a black cap and black mask as he briskly stepped to a window where a teller was already helping a customer. So the guy comes in. He's masked. He goes up to the teller sticks a bag under the window, and demands money. He does not display a weapon. All right? As this is happening, the security guard is watching this go on, and he's getting out of his chairs. The guy walks in. He's masked. He goes up to the teller. He demands money. All right. The officer gets out of the the security guard, that is, gets out of his chair, he walks up to the guy and shoots him in the back. Shoots him in the back. The security guard uh, takes four steps towards the robber, and without saying a word, shoots him once in the back from about six feet away. The robber collapses and soon dies at the scene. The whole episode, from the minute the robber entered the bank to the moment he was shot lasted about seven seconds, right? So this is the whole thing. It's seven seconds. In May, the district attorney announced that his office would not pursue any charges against the security guard. A female customer who was at the teller window said the robber um told the teller something similar to put the money in the bag. She then heard one shot he dropped. All right. Said until they saw the guy, you know, wasn't moving, they thought the whole thing might be a drill. The security guard continued to point his gun at the robber for about four and a half minutes, waiting for the police to arrive. Witnesses heard the guard tell him to remain still and keep his arms out. One witness said that made sense because he thought the robber could be an active shooter. In two formal interviews with the police, the security guard said he shot the robber as the would-be robber stood before what was a bulletproof glass of the teller's window. He told police he didn't know whether the robber was armed because he had his hands in the pockets of his hoodie. Um, the security guard said, no, I didn't give him a warning because before I shot because I, I didn't think that would have been appropriate. And he said, because there was this female customer that was there, I was worried that he could have taken her hostage, so I, I shot her. Um, he said, no, I didn't try to give the guy medical attention because I, I really I didn't know if he might have had a gun. All right? So this is a big story in the Madison paper. The district attorney's office takes a look at this and ultimately decides we are not going to issue criminal charges There is an issue because, again, the security guard was working for this company that isn't registered with the state, and that's kind of a a regulatory thing that's there. The bank robber who was shot had been released from federal prison uh, for six years after he had done almost 10 years for robbing a bank in Middleton in 2002. His death led police to close several older bank robbery cases in which he was a suspect. All right. So here you have this guy, the security guard. He he wasn't threatened. Nobody pointed a gun at him. As it turns out, I don't think the robber had a gun. He was shot in the back, 414-799-1620. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there are going to be regulatory issues. Like I say, the bank had hired this company that is now defunct, but they the security company that wasn't registered with the state. Does that change the overall fact? Did the DA miss the boat? Should the man have been charged? He shot the robber, would be robber, in the back, gave him no notice, didn't say stop, turn around, halt, raise your hands. He just shot him in the back. 414-799-1620. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Did the security guard overreact? Let's start with Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Mark. Uh if you look had- at the fact this guy wasn't licensed and the company he worked for is now out of business. I can understand why he didn't use any kind of protocol when he shot this guy in the back without any kind of warning. Any, any, I'm pro-law. I'd like, I like to see dead criminals. But the fact of the matter is, if a cop, if a, if a licensed or a police officer would have done that, they'd rake him over the cold. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, what do you I, think he should have done? Uh, let's put yourself in that position. You're the security guard. The guy who's clearly holding up the bank walks in, goes up to the teller. He's standing next to a female customer who's at the window. What should he have done?
1: I thought about this a long time ago, a number of times. I, if I were a security guard or if I had a field carry, I'd stand 10 to 15 feet away from this guy. I'd draw my gun. I'd aim it right for his chest and I'd say, something turn around law enforcement or whatever i have a gun and it spins around then i'd shoot him.
0: okay and if to in the
1: chance to give him a chance to at least try to shoot me
0: if yeah. in the interim okay he's standing right next to there, there's a woman who's at the counter so the two of sure. them are right next to each other you don't know if he ha, you, you don't know if he has a gun or not right. um right. you say halt security raise your hands and he spins around and grabs the woman by the neck and has a gun at her head, where do you go from there?
1: You always throw these ringers in. The <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I guess if I were really thinking about it, I would still point the gun to the largest part of his body. Uh-huh. And if, if I yelled security, it, as soon as yeah. the guy flinched. I
0: would shoot him. Okay, all right. Thanks. Well, I mean, I, again, I I raise this as an issue because, I mean, that, that I mean, what what the security guard says is, yes, I, I shot him in the back. I didn't know if he had a gun or not. He had a hand in in his pocket, but um, I, I'm he's next to this is a bank. This is a crowd. There's people in this bank, and he's standing right next to this woman who's at the teller window conducting business. Now, apparently, there was a window it says there's a window of bulletproof glass between him and the teller but there's there's a customer who's standing right next to this guy and the security guard was saying i i was afraid that he was armed or that if you know if i gave him a moment he was going to turn around and he was going to grab the the he was going to grab the woman the patron and then i've got a hell of a mess on my hand i i've got a hostage situation all right 4147991620 and and again i appreciate that is kind of a ringer but that's that that's what's going through the that's at least what the security guard says now this only happens this happens over a period of like six seconds, so he's instantly reacting, but he did shoot the guy in the back. He didn't give him a chance to surrender. He shot him in the back. Joe and go. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello Thanks for taking my call. What do you think
1: I guess I guess when I see the situation after certainly evaluating how many seconds it took for this to elapse, this man was hired to make sure the bank was secure. The person who was in the wrong was in there. God knows what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. How do you know what his intent is? He didn't know whether he was armed, and it was taken care of. It's unfortunate that he died, but he was in there about to do something wrong. Why do we continue have concerns for guys who are felons and criminals
0: well he was actually in the process of doing i mean he was in the process of holding up the bank it wasn't even like you you were wondering what he was doing i mean he's there you walk in with the ski mask or you know over your face and the the hoodie he was robbing the bank and what the security guard did is he he stopped the bank robbery which theoretically is what he's hired to do
1: yeah this is this to me you know i don't want to sound morbid that i don't care anything but this sounds like the dream scenario the person who did something wrong is the one who died and the people who are in there doing what they're supposed to do were not injured or affected.
0: Yeah. Well thanks, Nicole. Well, again, you know, we don't have the death penalty for bank robbery, but you know, under look, I, I think there is a regulatory issue and, and I think it's I think it's fair for the state to say to these different banks, what you know, what if, if there are rules with regard to the type of training and, you know, registration and things like that, it's certainly fair to say to the bank, hey, you have to comply with this. And, and maybe there's a fine that's there. But as I'm going through this story, and again, I, I understand we don't have a death penalty for bank robbers. I'm looking at this and saying it is an unfortunate situation. But actually, mark the table on this. I agree with the district attorney's decision. I don't see this as a crime committed by the security guard. He stopped a bank robbery that was in process. He did not know whether the guy was armed or not. But I think under these circumstances, it is a fair assumption. And given the fact that he's, he's at the teller window and there's a woman, a customer next to it, I, I mean, that, I, I run through this. I'm saying, okay, security guard, halt. Well, all right, he turns around, he grabs this woman. I, I think he did what he had to do to not just protect himself, but also protect the other people that were in that bank. Mike in Waukesha. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: I'm climbing on board. I agree. The guy was in the midst of committing a felony, and the security guard reacted. I mean, it, you know, it, you see so many situations where the, the, the guy does grab somebody or somebody does get shot or killed, and then it's, oh, I wish we could have done something. Well, in this particular case, now, I agree that, that there has to be regulated. Licenses for these people carrying arms. Chase was wrong with regard to their hiring; they weren't careful enough. On and on. But the situation itself. Right. This is a business model for a security firm. You got somebody that came in endangering the people, committing a felony. Right. As far as I'm concerned, I understand protocols that the police have to be under, but this is an individual that is threatening. The security of the bank and the people in the bank,
0: right? And the safety, security,
2: yeah. Security officer did something about it, and and the, I, I understand the idea of giving them the opportunity to turn around, but this isn't this isn't the Main Street in Tombstone, right? <laughs> where, where you give each other ten steps and then turn around, you know. I, this right. is a shootout. If you decide you're going to shoot somebody, you don't give them the opportunity to turn around.
0: Well, all right. And or, and gra- or thanks for or, or grab or grab the woman who's standing at the teller window while this whole thing is going on. Yeah, I I mean, I I think there's two issues. I I think it is completely appropriate to figure out, all right, you know, were regulations violated? You know, does this fine, do fines need to be leveled against the the company if they didn't comply with the state rules and the bank for hiring them? I I have no problem with going after them from a regulatory perspective. As far as a criminal charge, I think the DA got it right. It's 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2:25, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's certainly a life lesson to be learned from the Josh Hader situation. What should you tell your kids about the everlasting consequences of social media? Huh. Gene Miller shares some tips at 6:21 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. How it is just amazing. You know, you have everybody does and says stupid stuff. Now it varies in degree of stupid, but everybody does stupid stuff when they were kids. Back in the day, before Al Gore invented the internet. Well, you'd say something stupid to your buddy. They would probably say something stupid back to you, and that would be it. Now, you feel compelled to share. You put it out there on Twitter, and it is out there to follow you forever. Beware. All right, here's the bizarre story of the weekend. Milwaukee woman accused of leaving five children, including a newborn, in the garage at the Potawatomi Casino while she gambled and has now been charged with child neglect. Takesha Stanton faces five counts of criminal child neglect in connection with the July second incident, in which police say she left the children for up to four hours in her parked car at the Potawatomi Hotel and Casino. Police say the children, ages three months to 13 years old, were left in the 2009 Dodge Charger parked on the second floor of the casino garage while Stanton played Spanish 21, a type of blackjack. According to the complaint, they arrived at 6.30 p.m. The cops arrived at 6.30 p.m. They found the 13-year-old in the front passenger seat with the three-month-old infant in her arms. The keys were in the ignition. It was 80 degrees outside. The air conditioner was off, and an envelope was wedged in the window so the windows could not be rolled down. Huh. Police said the car smelled of dirty diapers. There was trash throughout the vehicle. Um Police were called by casino security after a customer reported seeing the children. Stanton initially told police that she had been at the casino for two hours. Huh, that's okay to leave my kids for two hours. Then three and a half hours, she said her mother was supposed to have picked up the children and taken them to a t- hotel room so that she could gamble. Um After her arrest, the children were placed in the custody of their father. I'm sure that's going to be a wonderful thing. And the two female children were placed in the custody of um, a mother. Okay. I guess you look at this saying, all right, you know, what's, what is going on here? And, And why do people even think that something like this is appropriate? And, you just kind of shake your head and go okay well this is another one of those examples why you know people need a license to cash a fish catch a fish, but anybody can have kids two twenty seven jeff wagner w t m j two thirty five jeff Wagner w t m j okay grew is producing the show today in always does mrs grew um offer a comments as to how you wear your hair or how often you should get your hair cut or things of the like no she doesn't she so you just you just you know, we'll wait till you've known each other longer. So, all right. So here, here, here's the deal. My my, my wife, who um, has impeccable taste in perhaps everything except her current choice of men, um, and she's actually, she's upgraded my, lo- I mean, it, it is, my, my friends with her. you got Jeff dressing better and things like that. All right. We, we have this little battle about my hair. I like to wear my hair. Shorter, she says. You look better with like longer hair. Now I'm not talking about down the shoulders and stuff, but she says, you know, you should. So we we have this little battle about. So like, don't you get your hair cut anytime soon? Well, okay, that's fine. Now for me, a haircut is, you know, something that you you just do to kind of neat it up. I I know that there's some people who just like the overall experience. For me, I just kind of want to get my hair cut. For you, oh, in I think going back the last twenty years, I, I've had two regular barbers. My first barber, great guy, name was Gene. He passed away a couple months ago. As a matter of fact, I said some things on his radio, and I heard from his family. Um, Gene used to have a barber shop. Downtown, it was right next to the building that I used to work at. Got used to going um, there, and then I would come down when I worked at TMJ in the beginning. G retired a couple of years ago and passed away earlier this year. Great guy, loved it. And so now, now my barber, one chair operation, guy who's in his seventies, works a couple days a week. Um, name is Herb. Go see Herb. Herb just recently moved his barber shop to, to Grafton. So I, th- that's it. I, I don't need. All the fancy stuff. I don't need to come in. We're going to give you the shampoo and we're going to give you the hot towel. I, I can wash my hair myself. I just, I go in, I get the haircut. All right. So that's, that, that's it. And that's, it's like, I want a, I want a barber. I don't need a, a stylist. My wife keeps saying, well, you could go, you know, drive out to my hairstyle. I said, I don't need to go to a hair salon. I, I just, I just, I need a barber. All right. And that, and that's it. Now I was thinking about this because there was a huge story in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. And the headline is, What a Good Haircut Costs. And they went out and they interviewed, oh, let's see, four. they interviewed over a dozen guys. Now, the, these were guys in New York, but they asked over a dozen guys what they paid to get their haircut. And it was interesting because, for example guy who who's a vice president of a financial services company he says 12 bucks he says i've been going to the same guy for 30 years i call him shaky frank and i don't let him shave my neck with a razor he pays 12 bucks for that on the other hand they find this 38 year old financial analyst who says he pays 100 dollars he said you know most of the time i think it's worth it i have no idea if 100 dollars to get my hair cut is a lot and then Everybody's all over the map. So, like I was saying th- this morning, I, we were at this meeting and I just, I was trying to get a, a sense from the people they're meeting and I, I'm, I'm excluding the women from the cost cause because it's a whole different experience. You know, you go to a salon, but I'm talking about a guy's haircut and I'm going around the table, you know, how much do you pay? How much do you pay? And even with that, the, the prices were all, all over the map, ranging from, you know, 10 bucks to 40 or 50 bucks four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am legitimately curious because now you you see all the ads for the sport cuts and the places like that. And and I men, I know we're all particular about this this experience. I, I had a guy I worked with, he doesn't work here anymore, but I had a guy I worked with and he I mean I know he dropped over fifty bucks For every haircut he got. Now, part of that was because the, the stylist, and he told me this, the stylist was an attractive young woman. And, you know, so he didn't mind necessarily paying for, you know, know, paying to go and and have this attractive young woman, you know, like how to wash your hair and stuff like that. It was worth 50 bucks to him. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What is the price of a good haircut? How much is it worth to you and how much? is like crazy money. 4147991620. I will start this off. 100 bucks. This guy who says his haircuts cost $100, um and he doesn't know if that's expensive or not. Yeah, that's I think that's expensive and even if I had $100 to spend on haircuts, I I'd, I'd be thinking long and hard about that. But how much do you pay and and what's it worth? 414799 one six twenty. Let's start with Terry in Waterford. Terry, you're first. Hello.
1: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Terry. Hey, I get a piece of bubble gum every time I go to my barber.
0: <laughs> so you're going to one of those old style barber shops as well, huh?
1: Okay. He's 89 years old. He's on 57th and Lincoln. Gunther Tausch. <laughs> he just cut back to three days a week. He cut hair. He was in Hitler's youth movement. Um, not by choice. But he cut the hair on a Russian uh, soldier, and the guy held him at gunpoint while he shaved his neck. This guy is unbelievable. He's, yeah.
0: 89, he's 89 years old. 89
1: <laughs> years old, and he looks like he's 70. He was, only, he was featured in the paper maybe 10, 15 years ago. But, yeah, I've been going to him for 25 years. And you know
0: I don't have much hair left, Jeff. Right. Well, but, well, that see that, <laughs> that right. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. That 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 is the thing. One one of my colleagues when I was asking this, and I'm not going to identify. I'm, no, I'm not even. I'm not going to identify him. One of my colleagues said, "Well, I do it myself." And of course, he said, "Look, I don't have much hair there. I just got to get out the clippers, and I I kind of do it." Well, I, I'm I'm not at that stage yet. Okay, All nine one six twenty. All right. How much is too much? What's a good men's haircut worth? We discuss. So we continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two forty one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, here's one. Hey, one of our texts. The the, the guy who's the financial analyst who's spending a hundred bucks on a on a haircut. I don't want him to be my financial analyst. I uh let's see. All right, a gal at a salon cuts my hair, she's really precise. Twenty one bucks, five dollar tip. All right, we're talking about you know how it, it was interesting. Big story in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about how much men are willing to pay for haircuts. And it's really all over the map. It it ranges from like ten bucks. Some guy says he spends a hundred dollars. I I'm kinda of somewhere I'm I'm in between, but on the definitely on the low side of that. Corrine in Menominee Falls. Corrine, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hi, nice Hi. to talk to you. Thanks for calling. My husband goes to my hairstylist. I pay thirty and he pays twenty two. And and then we we'll give her her tip. And I know your wife, Fran, and I think <laughs> you gotta listen to her. Well that's <laughs> Listen, I love her dearly. She's just a <laughs> wonderful person.
0: Well, I, I love her dearly, too. and she is a, So what, what you're telling me is happy wife, happy life. So if she wants me wearing Absolutely. my hair longer, shut up and wear my hair longer, huh?
1: <laughs> and if you tell her I called,
0: she calls me Corky. Okay, thanks for the call. <laughs> All right. There, there. I'm being stalked. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. Well, but it, it's but it, it is kind of one of those things. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jeff and Racine. Jeff, how much do you pay for a good haircut?
1: Oh, thanks Hi. for taking my call, Jeff. Hi. Yeah, I, I just I found it ironic. I was just pulling out of the barber, turned on the show, and this was your topic. Okay. So. Um, but I I paid twenty bucks for a shave and a haircut. Uh, I give my guy a good ten dollar tip um on top of it just because i get the shave with it and uh if i can give a plug out to it because i thought it was so weird uh uh angel over at az the barber he's over at uppercuts over on uh racine off of uh high street and douglas avenue so for 20 like
0: go ahead for 20 bucks you get a haircut and a shave and a shave wow well i have I, i mean to me you know getting a professional shave is one of the ultimate things in luxury i have not done that i haven't done it in years but that's I oh the, does he use a straight razor? He uses a straight razor. Oh man, that's you're you're at an old school barber there, Jeff.
1: <laughs> actually, he, actually, I got lucky. He he's younger than I am, and uh, wants the nostalgia of being an old school barber. Okay, so he's in his twenties and and has worked his way up the chain. Oh, cool. I've been my barber for uh, for about five years now.
0: Outstanding. Thanks, because even, I mean, the the barbers, even with the, the, that use the straight razors nowadays, I mean, a lot of them use, like, the disposable razors and things. No, that's, that, that is old school. 414-799-1620. Dennis in Brookfield. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. (laughs) It's funny that you're talking about this. I'm a lot like yourself. You know, the the hair is there and it's got to be cut every now and then. Right. You know, and I just I just comb it or brush it straight down all the way around, and that's, you know, fine. When it gets to be, you know, where I can touch my nose up my hair, of course, it gets over my, my ears, and it's time to get the haircut. Right. And I go I go to a place that, that Wade's Barbershop in West Dallas is about 71st, 72nd, and National, $5 a haircut. Five bucks. Five bucks. And you know, there's a lot of times I tip them more than the haircut costs, okay, because I'm just so thrilled, you know, at the price. How do you and, stay and in I, business I, at I, five I a bucks winter, a haircut? And I, well, And I I had a winter beard and I had that shaved off without a haircut. He only charged me $5 for that.
0: That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> wow. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, how do you stay in business at five bucks? I mean, I just, and, and see, and I, I also, I mean, I understand, see, part of it is that you are, you're kind of paying for this experience. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm not, see, I'm not a salon guy. I mean, Would I go to a place where it's just like, all men's hair cutting? Yeah. I I just, I I don't, I'm just not comfortable going to the place where, like, the ladies are having all the coloring and stuff like that. I mean, I'm just, and I'm not faulting people who do. I'm just not really a salon kind of guy. I'm more of a barber kind of guy. Five bucks, though. Huh. Let's talk to Steve in Menominee Falls. Steve, you're on WTMJ.
1: Yeah, about 20 years ago, I got one of those, uh buzz things and i've been cutting my hair ever since then and now i'm almost completely bald because my hair didn't it didn't fall out it ran away
0: (laughs) you really cut your own hair huh
1: i cut my own hair and there's less and less each time so you know it it, it keeps running away from the buzz thing
0: yeah thanks i uh thanks you. well i regardless of how i would approach this i guarantee you I guarantee you, I'm not cutting my own hair. It's not. It's not kind of. It's not at that point at all. Let's talk to Paul in Mayville. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. How you doing? I'm good. Okay. It's forty and fifty dollars for a haircut. Is that nuts?
1: That's outrageous. Okay. I I used to have Jack the barber in Hilbert do my hair <laughs> for ten bucks. I used them till I was 60 years old. I started using them when I was 15. Right. And now I don't have enough hair so my <laughs> wife gave me uh, clippers for Christmas and now she clips my hair so.
0: Right, right. Yeah, well that's that's it. I'm thinking, see that's the thing. It's and I, I try to I'm not sure ladies completely understand this. Maybe you do because when when you go to your stylist, you develop a relationship with them. Be go into your barber. It's kind of a I I don't know, especially if you go to the barbers, you know, and you have the person you go back to all the time. it it's It's more than it's more than just a, a here we're going to come in and we're going to provide you the service. They they kind of become your friends and stuff like that, and you feel this incredible loyalty that's out there. Now I know some people are wondering. So what do you pay? I m- mine's around twenty bucks. I, I just. You know, between twenty and twenty-five bucks. I'm not exactly sure what he charges. I give, I give him the the same amount pretty much every time. Somewhere between twenty and twenty-five bucks, including the the tip, and and it's fine. And it lasts me for a few weeks. Maybe it'll last me a little bit longer if I give in to my wife and let my hair grow a little bit longer. Jeff in Iron Ridge. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking a call. Sure. Uh, I was just at a birthday party. It was a hundred hundred year birthday party yesterday up in Sherwood, and Tom. He still cuts hair in his home up there, and at that age, and I guess at eighty nine, he had to go get recertified, and it was quite a hoot. The whole class was just hovering around him to learn how to barber. Right. But but uh, I asked him yesterday if he would take on new clients. Well, of course, I go to Beaver Dam and pay fifteen to twenty dollars a, a a time, like you're saying, and that's right. a good good amount. But uh, he wasn't going to take on new clients, but, uh, but he is still barbering. I, I just enjoyed your Charles. Well,
0: schedule. thanks. For, well, no. And it's, I mean, th- that's why, I mean, for example, before my current barber, um, my, my friend and my barber, Jean, who passed away earlier this year, he, a couple years ago, he gave up the shop, but then I, I mean, he still cut hair out of his house. I mean, I went, I, and I think he, I didn't go up to him. I, I ended up switching, but I mean, I, I, know he, he still did it. I mean, these. You know, a lot of these old school barbers, you, you just you just can't find people like that anymore.
1: Yeah, everything from politics to sports, <laughs> you, you name it, we have solved it all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, Amen. No, that, that, thanks for it. it it's it, that's it. You're right. You've you know you, you figured out. Well, sometimes we kind of stay away from politics, but but yeah, I mean, certainly sports. You know, if you want to figure out what's wrong with the Brewers or what's wrong with the Packers, you just walk into any good barber shop around here. Jeff in Hales Corners. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Good, good afternoon. Good afternoon, I've, sir. I've been, I've been going to the same barber shop. It opened in 1966, and, and I've been getting my hair cut there for for 50 years. <laughs> we 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 used to, we used to go. They have three. They had three chairs. They still do three chairs. And my grandpa and my father and myself, <laughs> we would all get our hair cut at the same time. And we'd always say we'd advertise for them. <laughs> Generations getting right. our hair cut at the same time, and you. You can't go to somebody's sports cut and they have they have the girl cut your hair or something like that. You have to go to a barber. Well,
0: that's you know. it. that's it. Well, see that was that was kind of it. Now, I mean, I have nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with being pampered. Okay, I, I and, and having somebody you know put you back and, and wash your hair and do all the stuff and, and I, that that's that's great. And, you know, it's a treat from time to time. I, I guess I'm, I'm certainly willing to do it. Like I was saying earlier, I think like a professional shave, you know, with a hot towel is one of the greatest things going. So, I mean, I I, I love that type of stuff, but I'm talking about, you know, day in, day out. Am, am I going to do that every few weeks? No, probably not. I I, I want to just find the barber. Give me a little bit of conversation. Nice guy. Interesting guy. Cut my hair. Um, I, I think like Again, would I be willing to splurge from time to time? Maybe, but to me, that sweet spot is around twenty or twenty-five bucks, and that's kind of where it was on, on on this Wall Street Journal story. Although there are, some, I was I was talking to one of my colleagues, who was telling me that her husband routinely, routinely spends fifty to a hundred dollars every couple weeks at the place he goes. To which I thought, huh, that might be God's way of spending saying you got too much money. But then of course she told me that every time she goes to a stylist, she she drops over two hundred dollars. So I guess it's all relative. It is two hundred fifty four. When we come back, we're gonna find out what the gang on Wisconsin the Afternoon News has on their mind. Stick around, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.